Chapter 25 of Zafloya. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. Zafloya by Charlotte Dacker. Chapter 25. When, at a late hour, the inmates of the mansion that so late had owned Berenza for its lord retired to their respective apartments, more to indulge in solitude their grief for his loss than to seek repose, it chanced that Victoria, whom no feeling, however, of regret or remorse for the cruel death inflicted by her on the most excellent of human beings, deprived of the power to sleep, awakened soon after she retired to bed, from a disturbed and terrifying dream. Staring up in her bed, she gazed around the chamber, still trembling under its dreadful impression. She thought that entering the apartment where the corpse of the deceased Conte reposed, she had drawn aside the curtains of the bed and beheld his countenance and various parts of his body discolored and disfigured by livid marks, evidences of the poison which had been given him that, in the frenzy of despair and terror, she had called upon and reproached Zofloya, who, without deigning to reply, gazed upon her with a stern and bitter smile. Thus, in a state of mind-baffling description, she had awakened, and the impression made by her dream was so strong that although she endeavored to view it only as an insignificant vision caused by the events of the day, she found it impossible to compose herself. The figure of Berenza, discolored by the effects of the poison, still swam in her view. At length, determined to end what she conceived to be her superstitious terrors, she resolved to seek the apartment of the Conte, and to satisfy herself with the conviction that her dream was without foundation, phantoms conjured merely by a diseased imagination. Accordingly, rising from bed, she wrapped herself in a loose white dress, and took in her hand a lamp which was burning on a marble table at the other end of the room. As she quitted her chamber, it occurred to her that Zafloya had said he would shield her from suspicion. He might mean only with respect to having caused the death of the Conte. He had not expressly said that after his death it should not be possible to ascertain by what means it had been occasioned. This reflection accelerated her steps, and with pallid cheek and beating heart, she reached the room where, in awful solitary stillness, reposed the body of the Conte. Pausing, trembling at every step, dreading to discover she knew not what, slowly she approached the bed whereon he lay. The curtains, which were of gauze, were drawn close around. Still hesitating without, she endeavored to look through them, but the outline only of the poor Berenza's form was discernible as seen through a thin mist. Summoning resolution, then, she drew the curtains apart. A slight covering still lightly veiled his countenance. Desperate, fierce, she snatched it away, when, horrible confirmation of her fears, she beheld the features disfigured indeed, and frightfully changed even to the most extravagant portraiture of her distempered fancy. For a few moments she remained rooted to the spot. Then, resistlessly impelled to search for and know the worst at once, however it might increase her consternation and despair, 
she opened his peaceful unconscious bosom, whereon large spots of livid green and blue became revealed, and struck her almost senseless with overpowering dread. Not the dread of public justice so much as the dread, horrible to her, that the discovery or suspicion of her guilt would prevent before death the accomplishment of her criminal wishes, rendering thereby useless and unavailing the enormities she had achieved for their sake. These ideas glanced rapidly through her mind. She still remained by the side of the bed, gazing upon the placid though discolored features of him she had destroyed, and which, had she been susceptible of compunctious feeling, spoke in their mournful fixedness a thousand reproaches on her guilt. But no. Her thoughts were employed upon the consequences likely to ensue to herself. The hour of mourning began to approach, and her heart beat with increased alarm at the idea of the surmises that must soon be excited by the altered appearance of the Conte. The terrible Inquisition, its horrid torments, its lynx-eyed scrutiny, pressed upon her brain. At this juncture she thought of Zafloya. A faint hope that he might assist her in the present confusion of her ideas determined her to apply to him. Yet how to seek him? And at this hour, how could she, to the presumptuous moor, excuse the indecorum of summoning him? These reflections, unworthy however the masculine spirit of Victoria, she speedily overcame in the stronger sense of her embarrassment, and she decided to seek him instantly. She knew that his apartment was situated near that of Enriquez, and cautiously she left the silent chamber of death and retraced her steps along the darksome gallery, dimly illumined only by the lamp she held, and which served to guide her steps. As she was slowly proceeding, a ray from her lamp fell suddenly upon the sparkling vest of Zafloya and partially betrayed his towering figure to her view. I was seeking you. I need your advice. Hasten onwards, I pray. In a low voice, entreated Victoria, overjoyed to have encountered him, to feel surprise at his unexpected appearance. Lead on, then, replied the moor. I am obedient. Victoria laid her finger on her lip, and turned back towards the chamber of the Conte. The contrast between them, as they moved along, was peculiarly forcible. The figure of Victoria slender and elegantly proportioned, arrayed in flowing white, with her raven hair streaming over her shoulders. That of Zafloya, so gigantic and differently attired, yet seeming at intervals by the dubious rays of the lamp and the reflect of strong shade, increased to a height scarcely human. Once or twice the deceptive magnitude of his dark shadow on the wall struck with momentary alarm even the hardy Victoria, and might have excited remark but that other objects engrossed too deeply her present thoughts. They now reached the peaceful gloomy chamber of Berenza. Enter, Zafloya, whispered Victoria, and approach that bed. The moor obeyed. Open the curtains and gaze upon the countenance within. The moor opened the curtains and looked upon the face of Berenza. Then, turning immediately to Victoria, the expression of his features, though less malignant and severe, reminded her forcibly of her dream. Tell me, moor, she exclaimed, 
rendered desperate by her feelings of terror and grasping with violence the arm of Zafloya. Tell me, what can be done in this terrible extremity? The moor was silent. Didst thou not tell me, pursued Victoria, thou wouldst preserve me from suspicion? Behold those blackened features, that discolored bosom. Who can fail immediately to ascertain that poison, poison hath caused the death of Berenza? Whoever behold the Conte will clearly ascertain that fact, coolly replied the Moor. Zafloya, Zafloya, cried Victoria, gasping with terror. What is that you say? I say, beautiful Victoria, whoever sees the Conte will instantly pronounce that his death was caused by poison. Victoria clasped her hands and remained mute with consternation and anguish, fixing her regards upon the moor. Victoria, he cried at length, if you would have my services, I repeat what I have often urged, you must place implicit confidence in me and firm reliance. Retire now to your chamber and fear nothing for the morrow. But, Berenza, leave to me all care for your safety. But those marks. The moor knit his dark brows. I have said, he cried in a stern authoritative voice, and pointed haughtily to the door. The frame of Victoria trembled, and she retreated towards the door. Horror and awe at the inexplicable character of the moor so wholly possessed her that though she longed, she durst not require an explanation of his intentions with respect to the body of Berenza. His dark but brilliant eyes, like two stars in a gloomy cloud, pursued her with their strong, imperious rays, even to the threshold of the door. She stopped, hesitated, and attempted to speak, but the effort was vain, and without power to offer resistance, she quitted the apartment. Great alternately were the terrors, and great the hopes of Victoria. On the word of the moor she had strong reliance, for she had never yet found that he deceived her. But his ambiguous promises, his explicit acknowledgment, that whoever saw the body of the Conte must discover the occasion of his death, threw her again into fits of doubt and consternation. And the hours that she passed in her chamber, expecting every moment some confirmation of her fears, were the just portion of one immersed like herself in blackest guilt. The morning was not far advanced when a mingled commotion and confusion of voices pervaded the castle. The terrors of conscious criminality prevented her from rising to inquire the cause. Fainting, almost dying, she awaited the result, while cold drops of agony gemmed her writhing brow. At length, a loud knocking at her chamber door caused her to start from her seat, the blood flew into her lately pallid cheeks, and as suddenly rushed back to her heart, leaving them again of a livid paleness. The knocking continued. More dead than alive, she tottered to the door and opened it. Various persons, domestics in the castle, burst into the room, strong dismay painted on their faces, and with loud lamentation exclaimed that the body of the Conte was missing. End of chapter 25. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista.